And in verse 6, And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? They wanted to know about the kingdom of Israel. What is the difference? There's a real kingdom of Israel that's it's not now. That little nation Israel is not the kingdom of Israel. How do you know? There's no king. There's no king. It's a country. It's a nation. No king. They want to know about the kingdom of Israel, that Yeshua is going to be the king of Israel in the world. That's not what he was talking about. He was talking to these apostles about the kingdom of God. And here's what Yeshua tells them when, when they ask him about the kingdom of Israel. They ask him, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. Okay? They wanted to know about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. I'll tell you something. A lot of people, they read prophecy, and they even teach, and they get, they get the whole thing all mixed up. There's people that think that uh, the kingdom of Israel is going to be, somehow the church is going to have something to do with that. It's not true. We have something to do with the kingdom of God. When Yeshua comes back and restores the kingdom of Israel, then that will be what God is doing. But that's not what he's doing now. No matter how many seats we wear, kippahs, or how many Torah scrolls we have, it's not time. And when you look at prophecies in Ezekiel that have to do with the kingdom of Israel and start applying it to the church, you get all mixed up. And there's people that promote themselves as, as authorities and they get the promises to Israel and Judah mixed up with somehow the church in Israel. And they get it all mixed up. It's as if they walk through the parking lot, stepped in gum, and they got this big string of gum just, you know, tracking all over the place. They got this prophecy connected to this thing over here, and it's all mixed up. And a lot of people that teach have no idea what they're talking about. And I don't think I'm one, otherwise I'd quit. If I really thought that. But carefully study the scriptures. Yeshua says, basically when he answers them, he says, don't worry about the kingdom of Israel. It's not time yet. What's going on now is... These people, his apostles and his disciples, are going into the world to preach Yeshua and the kingdom of heaven. And then here's what happens in verse 9. And after this, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on him, and a, and, uh, and a cloud received him out of their sight. I, I wish this could have been on YouTube or something. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, this really happened. It says in verse 10, And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. That would just freak me out right there, suddenly, you know. And they said to the, and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Yeshua who, was, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him 
go into heaven. So when Yeshua comes back, it's going to be like that. He's going to actually literally come. It says, he comes in the clouds. We're going to actually see him. Physical appearance of Yeshua. This is a real phenomenon that will happen. It's not a, it's, it's not a symbol or, a, or a, it's going to be real. Right? He's going to actually come back and be the king of Israel. That hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen until the right time. That's what Yeshua is telling them. God the Father has his fixed by his own authority, fixed times, appointed times. The time now is for the kingdom of God to go into the whole world. And it has been happening for the last 2,000 years. Okay? Now, in Acts chapter 2, very briefly, we know, uh, for those of us who have read chapter 2, we know this is the day when the Holy Spirit came. It's actually the, the beginning of the real church, when the Spirit came. Without, without the Spirit, there is no church. The Holy Spirit came on a feast day, and, and they went out and preached in the streets in languages that they didn't learn, but they knew how to speak them, and, and people that were in Jerusalem for the feast could hear in their own language, and many people came to believe. And the people in, in Jerusalem thought, maybe these men are drunk, because they weren't speaking Hebrew, uh, or Aramaic. But uh, Peter explains to them what happened. Now, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, 15, verse 15. He says, For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day, 9 o'clock in the morning. The liquor stores weren't even open yet. <laughs> and verse 16. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Joel, Joel. And here's what he says. 17 through 8 through... Verse 17 through 21, I like to call the bookend passages that mark the beginning of the last days and the end of the last days, the days that we live in now. It's still the time for the kingdom of God to be preached. In verse 17 it says, And it shall be in the last days, that's what days we live in, it's not the day of the Lord, it's the last days, God says that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. That's the first bookend. The next two verses are the other bookend at the other end of the last days. It says, and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath and blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. That's at the end of the last days. So he just, in this prophecy right here, quoting from Joel, Peter marks the beginning of the last days, that day when the Spirit came, and towards the end of the last days, before the day of the Lord. And for us, it's a glorious day. But for those who are not believers, it's a terrible day. It just depends if you're in Messiah or not. Verse 21, I'll just read that. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, now, we're in the last days. And it's been about almost 2,000 years. And we kind of 
get a suspicion that, you know, we're, we're approaching the end of the last days before the day of the Lord. It certain, certainly seems like it to me. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For a long time, for like almost 2,000 years ago, we're all waiting for Yeshua. Maranatha, come, come Yeshua, come back now. And Paul addresses this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're supposed to be waiting. But not in ignorance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll start with verse 13. I mean, excuse me, Paul, (coughs) Paul teaches, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so God will bring him with, excuse me, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Yeshua. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. That's what he said. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend. We just read about it in Acts. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout of with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet or the shofar of God. And the dead in Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. I'm not trying to pinpoint when the rapture happens. That's not today's message. But this is addressing the rapture. Whether it happens at the beginning or the middle or the end, that's not what I'm addressing. I have an idea, but that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm trying to get a, get a, get a hold on is what happens at the end of the last days before the day of the Lord so we can be ready you know, in, without being ignorant. I mean, there's a lot of people that are expecting that the nation Israel is going to be a kingdom and, and, and we should go live in Israel. Sorry. Better wait till Yeshua comes back first. Unless you just want to go immigrate there. I mean, what's the point? He's not there. He even said, beware of false messiah saying he's there, he's here, he's wherever. He's here in your heart. He sent his spirit. But he will come back. But when he comes back, he's going to snatch us up with him. We don't have to go look for him. He said, beware. There's a lot of weird teaching out there. You ever notice that? that people say anything, and then you go to go check the Bible, and say, that ain't in the Bible. They're making it up. It actually makes me angry. But I'm not angry now. Verse Chapter 5, verse 1. Still in 1 Thessalonians. 
And he says something that reminds me of what Yeshua just said before he ascended in Acts chapter 1. He says, Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you know yourselves full well that the day of the Lord, when it does come, the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. That's on the world. Listen to what he says. He clarifies that in verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety. Now remember this word, peace and safety. Just like I said, remember kingdom of God, kingdom of Israel. I'm asking you to remember when the world is saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like birth pangs upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Hallelujah. You, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. It will not overtake us like a thief if we are awake. Thieves come in the night when you're asleep, but we're not asleep. It may be that some people uh, seem like they should be awake but are asleep. I don't mean physical sleep. I mean spiritually. Sometimes I preach too long and people fall asleep. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, it says in verse 5, For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And that's, that's enough for that scripture. Because now we're going to go to the Second Thessalonians. Let's turn a few pages over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. The day of the Lord. Not, I'm not talking about the rapture yet. Or I'm, Actually, I'm not going to address the rapture. We know that when Yeshua returns and we see him in the clouds, we will be caught up with him. I'm not addressing the timing of that. I'm addressing on the end of these last days, before the day of the Lord. We're not asleep. What are we looking for? What are we watching for? It says in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ. And our gathering together to Him. That's when He catches us, gathers us up. Now, let me pause here for a moment. There are scriptures that have to do with the gathering of lost Israel. Scattered throughout the nations. In the millennium, when the King comes back, He will gather Israel together. And there will be a kingdom. And all the nations have to go to Israel, to Jerusalem. To celebrate the Feast of Booze, or they send representatives there, and if they don't, then they get no rain on their country. That's a different gathering than the gathering that Paul's talking about. And there's people that get these two things mixed up, and they, they develop a whole theology based on error. Unfortunately, our gathering together to him, when he comes, when we see him in the clouds, and he catches us up at the sound of the last trump, that's what he's talking about. Verse 2 that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The people thought that the day of the Lord has already happened, but he's telling them, don't, don't get disturbed by these reports that the day of the Lord is here. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you day of the Lord, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Before the day of the Lord comes, there has to be an apostasy, and this means a falling of faith, a falling away from the faith, 
And there's people that can describe that apostasy in many ways. I tell you, the more I read the New Covenant, the more I realize that many people's interpretation of apostasy is not in agreement with what Paul would expect the apostasy to be. But there has to be a falling away from faith. That's just something that happens in the church. The world doesn't fall away from faith. They, never, they were never in faith. If they were in faith, they wouldn't be in the world. They, they'd be in the world, but not of the world. This is something that happens in the assembly of Messiah. And we would speak, well, isn't, the assembly, isn't everybody in the assembly of Messiah all, all like the same? Well, unfortunately not. Because if you read Yeshua's parables, it says the kingdom of heaven is like... Uh, Buster says, I'm trying to think of the ones where he has to do sorting out. The kingdom of heaven is like a man that threw out his dragnet, pulled up a whole bunch of fish, and some of them were good, some of them were bad. So what you have in the assembly of Messiah, you have some good fish and some bad fish. There's going to be a sorting out in in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God on earth. See, we're part of the kingdom of God. On earth, in the assemblies, you have some good and some bad, and there's going to be a sorting out. So, God will take care of that. But ultimately, there has to be such a a departure from the faith in God's word and his grace that it's called an apostasy, a falling away. That doesn't mean everybody's going to fall away. I mean, you can look at the church now and see, wow, man, is this, what would Paul say if he had to go preach in the churches that... They're promoting all kinds of weird stuff now. Okay? Lawlessness. Okay, and the man of lawlessness has to be revealed before. This is before the day of the Lord. The man of lawlessness has to be revealed. Well, he might be around, but I don't know who he is. I know, you know, every time a lot of people look like him, there's a lot of people, but it's not really been revealed where we can say, that is the man of lawlessness. We can't say the the president is the man of lawlessness. Hey, he does a lot of strange things, but I can't be sure that he's the Antichrist. It's the wrong country, first of all. The spirit of Antichrist is already everywhere. The thing is, it hasn't been revealed yet. It says, let no one, in verse 3 again, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. That I can see happening. The falling away is falling as we speak. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. That hasn't happened that I know of. Might be getting close, but it says that he's the son of destruction. Now it goes on to describe this man of lawlessness. In verse 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. The man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. There is the character of this man of lawlessness. First of all, the temple has to be rebuilt in order for him to go into the temple and sit in the temple and portray himself as God. And he has to exalt himself above all God, gods with little g, and any kind of worship. This is the, a world leader. We know the Antichrist, the little horn. Um, 
very briefly, I'll tell you that in, in, in uh, Europe and the Middle East area, somewhere around there, or North Africa too, there will be ten rulers that form an alliance, but it won't be a strong alliance. It would be like clay and, clay and iron. It doesn't mix very well, but they'll form an alliance and have some kind of government or some kind of union type of rulership uh, in the line of the Roman Empire, the, the Grecian Empire, the Persian Empire, Babylonian Empire, Syrian Empire, like that, that kind of, that kind of empire, but it's not strong. Clay and iron mixed. And then another leader within that ten rises up, overturns three, and ends up taking over the whole thing. And this evil person gets control of the empire. An evil person, there's a there's a ten 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 powers, and then one, eleventh one, comes up and ends up taking over the power of the whole thing, and that's how that person is able to do what we just read. And so I'm basing that on uh, prophecies from Daniel, the book of Daniel. That's what we expect to see uh, in the future. But keep track what I said earlier while they're saying peace and safety, sudden destruction comes. Keep track also of that this man of lawlessness, this antichrist, anti-messiah, that he exalts himself. He exalts himself. This is the, this, what Satan does, you know. He exalts himself above every so-called God and every object of worship. Those are two things we keep track of. Now let's look at Daniel chapter 11. Somehow this is all going to connect to Hanukkah. Yeah, we'll... I don't know if I'll, how much of this I can do in one day. This is something that's hard to, to do in one sitting or standing. So maybe over the next couple of weeks or during Brian's meetings, we can look in more detail. I'm, it's, it's easier to sit down and study than on a difficult subject like this, a detailed subject, a critical subject. Much more easier to sit down and study to get the details and, and prove every point. Daniel chapter 11, we'll start, I'm going to skip around because let me tell you first of all that Daniel chapter 11 is a prophecy that in part has come true as a foreshadow of something that is yet to happen. That's the, 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 the key to understanding Daniel chapter 11. He's talking about the future because at this time Daniel is in uh, Babylon and Medo-Persia. Yes, this time it would be Medo-Persia, but Medo-Persia took over Babylon. And uh, Daniel is given a prophecy about the future when Greece takes over and he gives detailed account hundreds of years before it happens like three and a half 350 or more years before it happens he gives detailed accounts of how it's going to happen and in that in that fulfillment of this prophecy it is a foreshadow of what's coming and I'll show you why when we get there I'll show you why I say that. I'll prove that part. Uh, we'll start with Daniel chapter 1, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, uh, And in the second year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be in a, an encouragement and a protection for him. 
And I and now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to arise in Persia. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. As soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. And a mighty king will arise, and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. But as soon as he has risen, his kingdom will be broken up and parceled out toward the four points of the compass, though not to his own descendants, nor according to his own authority, which he wielded. For his sovereignty will be uprooted and given to others beside besides him. Okay, what this is, Daniel's telling the king of Persia that in the future, the king of Greece is going to rise up. And, do, and he's going to be powerful and do as He's talking about Alexander the Great. And after Alexander the Great, the kingdom of the Greek empire will be divided up in four parts and not given to Alexander the Great's children, but to his generals. That's what happened. This was three and a half, 350 years or more before it happened, impossible for Daniel to have known, but the details given. And that's exactly what happened. So now, the, the two that play the important roles are the king of the north and the king of the south. The rest of chapter 11 goes into quite a bit of detail, which I'm going to skip over. But if you were to study the history, you would find out that it's already written ahead of time in detail. The king of the north, the, Patala, the, the Seleucids, the Syrians, or Seleucids, and the king of the south, the Egyptians, or the, uh, the, the I can't pronounce it, Ptolemics, or Ptolemics, it's a funny word, it's got a P and a T next to each other. But that's the Egyptians and the Syrians, portions of the old Grecian Empire, fighting back and forth over the land of Israel. They're just trodden, the Gentiles have trodden down the Holy Land, that's what's... God said what happened, and that's what's happening. They're fighting back and forth. But let's skip up to verse 21. So in the northern kingdom, the Syrian, or the, or the Seleucids, you know, they have, the kingdom changes, changes, changes leaders, changes leaders, and eventually this happens in verse 21. And in his place, a despicable person will arise on whom the honor of kingship has not been conferred, but he will come in a time of tranquility, peace and safety, and seize the kingdom by intrigue, or flatteries, in the, I think it says in the King James. This king that comes into, that came into power, came in a, in a time of peace, by, tr- tr- uh, what does it say, the word is tr- intrigue, or flatteries, it says in the King James. Does it say flatteries? Flatteries. Okay, good. You get an idea of this guy's a pretty good politician. Maybe he can bow down to the king of Arabia or king of China, you know, with flatteries. I'm not saying that's I'm not saying the person who does that is the Antichrist, but you see the spirit of Antichrist working. Comes in humbly, but he's got a plan. He's a tricky person. That's what he did. Oh, by the way, this is this is fulfilled already. But it's a foreshadow. Look at verse 24. Skip down to verse 24. In a time of tranquility, 
He will enter the richest parts of the realm and he will accomplish what his fathers never did, nor his ancestors. He will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them. Everybody gets a piece of the pie, right? Huh? Does this sound familiar? He's going to come in and he's going he's to get powerful. He's going to get a lot of support because he's going to give stuff away. That's already happened. It's a foreshadow. And he will devise his schemes against strongholds, but only for a time. I, wanna, I don't want to go into the detail on this because it would be too time consuming for, for a message. Like I said, this is a prophecy about something that already happened between uh, Syria and Egypt on, after they came out of the uh, Grecian Empire. And it's fulfilled in detail. And uh, again, it's a foreshadow of something that's coming in the future. Now let's go to verse 27. As for both kings, their hearts will be intent on evil, and they will speak lies to each other at the same table. Politicians, they never change. But it will not succeed, for this, for the end is still to come at the appointed time. See, God's in control. Verse 28. Then he will return to his land with much plunder, but his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant. What's the Holy Covenant? Remember Daniel's writing it. The Holy Covenant is, is the agreement for Israel to keep Torah. And also the circumcision that attaches Israel to the land. It's just, okay? This guy is against that. Uh, where was I? It was verse 29? Yeah, uh, 28. And then we got... Um, yeah, I'll read 28 again. Yes. Then he will return to his land with much plunder... But his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant. And he will take action and then return to his own land. In verse 29, At the appointed time he will return and come into the south. But this time, but this last time, it will not turn out the way it did before. Um, Okay, I'm going to read some of this. Remember, this is history. Uh, some of it's, it's a little bit heavy. In verse 30, For ships of Kittim will come against him, therefore he will be disheartened and will return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. He's trying to persuade people to break the Holy Covenant he wants to... That's what's happening in the world today. In a sense, people, uh, the people, the Christians, are being persuaded to you know, not go along with what the Bible says anymore. You know, just get along with the world. Look at verse 31. And he forces, and forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. That's why we're reading this. The abomination of desolation. Now, I said this is something that's already happened, but it's a foreshadow of what's happening because Yeshua talked about the abomination of desolation. In verse 32, he says, By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. 
going to persuade people with smooth words to turn against the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action, and those who have insight among the people will give understanding to many. Yet they will fall by sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help and many will join with them in hypocrisy. And some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time because it is still to come at the appointed time. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god. Didn't we just read that in Paul in Thessalonians, right? But this is a fulfilled prophecy, but again, it's still coming in the future. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god with a little g, and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods, that's Yeshua, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished. For that which is decreed will be done. So this is something that will happen. It did happen and it's going to happen again in fulfillment of the foreshadow. Now, um, I want to read to you from the Maccabees. 1st Maccabees chapter 1 and this is an interesting this comes from the Apocrypha uh, the Maccabees was in the Bible even in the King James but it was later taken out it was never in the Jewish Bible it's a Jewish writing but never part of the Bible so I think it's quite appropriate that it's not in the Bible even though it was in the Bible because our, our Old Testament is the same as the Jewish Bible but it's a Jewish writing. It's not the holy inspired word of God. Otherwise it would be in a Jewish Bible. But it does keep track of the history. Now based on what we just read in Daniel 11, that was like five, 500 and something B.C. Now it's like uh, 100 and something B.C. Or that might have been 400 and something, whatever. Here it is, the fulfillment. I'm going to read to you from the first Maccabees Chapter 1, verse 1. And it came to pass, after Alexander of Macedon, the son of Philip, who came from the land of Chetim, had utterly defeated Darius, the king of the Medes and Persians, that he reigned in his stead. And he had, as he had reigned before, over Greece. And he waged many wars, and captured fortresses, and slaughtered kings, the kings of the earth. And he made his way to the ends of the earth, and despoiled a multitude of nations, the whole earth was silent before him, and he became exalted, in his, and his heart was uplifted. And he mustered a very mighty army, and ruled over the lands and the rulers of the heathens, and they paid him tribute. Afterward he fell sick, and knew what was, he was going to die. So he called his distinguished servants, who had been brought up with him, and divided his kingdom among them while he was still alive. Alexander had reigned 12 years when he died. So you see, there's a fulfillment of the prophecy in the book of Daniel. And it said, goes on to say, His servants succeeded him, each in his own domain, after his death, 
They all put on crowns, as did their sons after them, for many years, as they, and they did much evil on the earth. There sprang up from them a sinful shoot named Antiochus Epiphanius. By the way, he named himself God Manifest. Did you know that? This guy, Antiochus or Antiochus, however you want to pronounce it, Epiphanes, he's given himself the title of God Manifest. Now, it's not unusual. We see this at the... It's not unusual that people would do that because it happened all the time through history. The Roman empires were act, treated like gods. This guy actually, this is the, the one that exalts himself above every god. And it, this is going to happen in the future. In, in this modern world, in some way, I don't know how detailed it's going to happen, but it's going to arise. This will happen. The Antichrist will be just like this and, and worse. There sprang up from them a sinful shoot named Antiochus Epiphanes, the son of King Antiochus, Antiochus, whatever. He had been a, a hostage in Rome and had become king in the 137th year of the Greek kingdom, counting based on the Greek calendar time, based on Alexander. It says, in those days there arose out of Israel lawless men who persuaded many, saying, let us go and make a treaty with the heathen around us, for ever since the time we became separated from them, many misfortunes have overtaken us. The problem with that, it breaks the first commandment. If you go look at Exodus chapter 34, Exodus chapter 34, verse 12. having to do with the commandments. Look at, since you're already there, Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. It says, So he was there with Yahweh 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now we'll back up to verse 12. It says, Watch yourselves, that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, lest it become a snare in your midst. But rather you are to tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their asherim. Verse 14. For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Another name for our god is also Jealous. He does not like us to worship other gods. So back to the story, the history in the Maccabees. It says, these lawless men of Israel were saying, let us go and make a treaty with the heathen around us, for ever since the time we became separated from them, many misfortunes have overtaken us. It's an apostasy. We're in the world, not of it. The verse, and then it says that the plan seemed good in their eyes, and some of the people went eagerly to the king, and he authorized them to introduce the practices of the heathen, and they built the gymnasium in Jerusalem in the heathen fashion and submitted to uncircumcision and disowned the holy agreement and allied themselves with the heathen and became slaves of wrongdoing. And his rule appeared to Antiochus, excuse me, when his rule appeared to Antiochus to be established, he conceived the idea of becoming king of the land of Egypt so that he might reign over two kingdoms. So he entered Egypt with a strong force. This is all chapter 11 of Daniel being fulfilled. 
He entered uh, Egypt with a strong force with chariots and elephants and cavalry and a great fleet, and he made war on Ptolemy, P-T-O-L-E-M-Y, Ptolemy, Ptolemy, king of Egypt. And Ptolemy turned and fled before him, and many fell wounded. And they captured the walled cities in the land of Egypt, and he plundered the land of Egypt. After subduing Egypt, in the 143rd year, Antiochus turned back and came up against Israel and entered Jerusalem with a strong force. And in his arrogance, he went into the sanctuary and took the gold altar and the lampstand for the light and all its furniture and the table for the presentation bread and the cups and the bowls and the gold censers and the curtain and the crowns and the gold ornaments on the front of the temple, for he stripped it all off. For he took the silver and the gold and the choice dishes and he took the secret treasures which were found. <coughs> he took for them all and went back to his own country. That's what we just read in Daniel 11. He massacred people and spoke with great arrogance. And there was great mourning everywhere throughout Israel. Rulers and elders groaned. Girls and young men fainted away. And the beauty of the woman was altered. Every bridegroom began to lament. And she that sat in the bridal chamber grieved. The very earth was shaken over its inhabitants. And the whole household of Jacob was covered with shame. After two years, the king sent an officer to collect tribute to the towns of Judah. He entered Jerusalem with a strong force and spoke to them craftily in peaceful terms. Right? You read that in Daniel 11? And they trusted him. Then he suddenly fell upon a city and struck it with a great blow and des destroyed many of the people in Israel. He plundered the city and burned it down and tore down the houses in it and the walls around it. And they took the women and children captive and possessed themselves of the cattle. Then they fortified the city of David with a great strong wall, with strong towers, and it became a citadel. And they put sinful heathen there who did not obey the Torah, and they entrenched themselves there. And they stored up weapons of provi and provisions and they collected the spoils of Jerusalem and laid them up there and, and they became a great threat and it proved a place of ambush against the sanctuary and a wicked adversary to Israel constantly. And they shed innocent blood all around the sanctuary and polluted the sanctuary itself. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem fled away because of them and she became a place where strangers lived. And she became strange to her own offspring, and her children forsook her. It kind of reminds me of some good people don't want to go to church because of all the things that go on in church sometimes. <clears throat> and it says, Her sanctuary became desolate like a wilderness. Her feasts were turned into grief. Her Sabbath became a reproach. And her honor became contempt. Her dishonor was great as her glory had been. And her exaltation was turned into grief. Then the king, this Antiochus guy, the sinful shoot, then the king wrote to the whole kingdom, listen to what he says, that they should all become one people. Sounds good. Unity, right? Yeah. This is the Antichrist foreshadow. King wrote that they all should become one people and everyone should give up 
his particular practices. And all the heathen assented to this command of the king. And many from Israel agreed to this kind of worship and offered sacrifice to idols and broke the Sabbath. And the king sent word by messengers to Jerusalem and the towns of Judah to follow practices foreign to the country and to put a stop to the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings at the sanctuary and break the Sabbaths and profane the feast and pollute the sanctuary and the sanctified people to build altars to build altars and and uh, to build altars and s- sacred precincts and idol temples and sacrifice swine and unclean beasts and to leave their sons uncircumcised and defile themselves with every unclean and profane practice so that they might forget the Torah and change all their religious ordinances. And everyone who did not obey the command of the king should die. That's what's going on in Israel at this time. 150 B.C. or so. 167 B.C. For he wrote to his whole kingdom to this effect, and he appointed inspectors over all the people, and he ordered the towns of Judah, every one of them, to offer sacrifice. And many of the people and everyone who was ready to forsake the Torah joined with them, and they did wrong in the land, and forced Israel to hide every hiding place they had. Forced Israel to hide in every hiding place they had. Now here, we're getting to the end. This is critical of this, what I'm reading today from Maccabees. On the 15th day of Hislev, that's the Jewish calendar, today is the 4th day of Hislev. On the 15th day of Hislev, in the 140th year, that's the year according to the Greek calendar, it was 167 B.C., he erected a dreadful desecration upon the altar. This is the abomination of desolation. He erected a dreadful desecration upon the altar. What he did is he put up a statue of Zeus. And in the towns of Judah around, about, they built altars, and at the doors of their houses, and in the squares they burned incense, and wherever they found the book of the Torah, they tore it up and burned them. And if anyone was found to possess a book of the agreement, that's the covenant, the Torah, or respected the Torah, the king's decree condemned them to death. The Israelites who appeared from month to month in the towns they treated with force. Now here's what happens on the 25th day of Hislev. That's the ninth month of the Jewish calendar. On the 25th day, they offered up sacrifice upon the altar, which was set upon the altar of burnt offering. What happened in the temple? On the altar, they, they made an altar to Zeus, and they sacrificed a pig in the temple. The woman had circumcised their children. They put to death. And the babies, they hanged by their necks, destroying their families and the men who had circumcised them. Yet, many in Israel stood firm and resolved in their hearts not to eat what was unclean. They preferred death to being polluted with food or profaning the sacred agreement. And so they died in Israel and suffered intensely. That's the history, the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 11. And it talks about the abomination. It talks about setting up an idol in the temple to Zeus and sacrificing a pig on the holy altar in a temple. Now Yeshua speaks about this in Matthew chapter 24. 
the abomination of desolation. Basically, what we saw in Daniel, we saw a, a foreshadow fulfillment of it, but it's not the fulfillment of it, because Yeshua gives us a little hint. Look in verse 15, Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, it says in parentheses in my Bible, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. It goes on. The whole, the whole chapter is interesting, but I don't think I'm going to get to the whole chapter 24 today. I'm going I'm to uh, try to uh, curve this. The idea that this is Yeshua, they're asking Yeshua about the end times in this chapter. Yeshua is saying there's going to be wars and famines and all kinds of stuff, but he uses this as a real marker. Somehow, that interpretation, I mean the Daniel chapter and the foreshadow of it has to be fulfilled in some way. It doesn't have to be exactly, but somehow it has to come to fulfillment. I don't know exactly how it's going to be. Now, what I wanted to point out was as we go over the next maybe a uh, couple of weeks, we'll look at Hanukkah a little better. On the 25th of Hislev, notice your bulletins, it's Hanukkah. The 25th, the, the, the 25th day of the ninth month. Because what happened is, a small group of people fought. And I think it took three years, but eventually they won. And they got the temple back, and they restored it temporarily as it was, but they got it. And so that's what Hanukkah marks, getting back the temple. It, Hanukkah is is the celebration of, to me, it's a celebration of freedom, religious freedom, to worship God the way we want to worship God, not the way the world is trying to impose on us. Now, the, here's an interesting thing. Now, the reason um, many Messianics, including myself, don't want to be enthusiastic about Christmas is because... The reason they sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple is because the winter solstice is a pagan day of worship. Nowadays, the winter solstice is, is, uh, is uh, a day that um, commemorates the birth of Yeshua. It's a good thing to remember Yeshua. The thing is, before Christianity, uh, even before Judaism... There was a pagan religion, a pagan religion, and they already had established pagan worship on the winter solstice. Now, the winter solstice itself is not bad. God created the stars and the earth and put things in motion. So, what the, the winter solstice has to do with, yeah, winter solstice yeah, has to do with the uh, geometric alignment. It's very beautiful mathematically. There's nothing wrong with that. God created all those things. What God is against is idol worship, and Christians aren't worshiping idols. On Christmas, they're not. They're not. Ask any Christian. They're commemorating the birth of Yeshua on a day that was used by pagans to worship Zeus and all the other gods. And by the way, the pagan worship very similar to the Bible story, but it's twisted. It's twisted, and plus, people begin to worship gods instead of the God. So the reason the reason many uh, messianics don't like to uh, celebrate Christmas is just because of that. And uh, I'm one of them. I don't really like to care too much about Christmas, but I still I, I'm not telling anybody what you do. Whatever you want, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. 
believe me, I'm not. I'm still trying to figure out how to live my life. So if I get invited to a party, a Christmas party, I'll go. I'm not going to, to celebrate any pagan gods or not, but you know, I want to um, be a light in the darkness. The thing is, this is the thing. This is really, I've got to share this with you. I, I'm still thinking, how, how do we deal with this? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Hanukkah itself started on the winter solstice. That's weird, isn't it? Except what I'm saying is the winter solstice will have to do with a geometric alignment be, between the earth and the sun and the axis and all this. But on the 25th of Kislev, it's based on the moon calendar. So occasionally the winter solstice and the 25th of Kislev will line up and then to get out of alignment. Because the calendars kind of go in and out from each other. You understand that? Like sometimes Easter and Passover are on the same day, but usually not. You understand? All I'm saying is that before we go too overboard in our reaction to all these pagan roots of everything, just think about it a little bit and pray about it and ask God what's the wise thing to do. Uh, Thanksgiving itself... Thanksgiving itself has pagan roots. Do you guys know that? You know that? Uh, why? Because Thanksgiving is a fall festival where we worship, uh, we, we celebrate the, uh, the harvest. Well, before, Israel has, has a fall festival too. But Israel worships the God. But every nation of people had fall festivals because everybody used to be farmers in some degree, I mean, except for the king. Everybody, at some point in history, we were almost all farmers. So we would have to have festivals when we harvested this natural thing, you see. But Israel was preserved and chastised and corrected. But the rest of the world, they would, they would use their fall feasts for pagan gods. So before Christianity, there was already a fall festival going on. In England, they had it. And then so... It's a tradition. It's, but now, when, 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 when the people, the, the heathens, the Gentiles, came to believe in the God, the real God, instead of worshipping pagan gods, they, with the fall festival, they still worship the God, Thanksgiving. So, I'm throwing all this at you at once. You can think about it. The pagan roots of Thanksgiving, before Christianity, they still had Thanksgiving festival. It was a fall festival, but they worshipped fake gods. When they realized who the real God is, they still had their, their real festivals, but now they're thinking the true God. I will celebrate Thanksgiving, and I don't have any, any issue with Thanksgiving. But I do realize that in the past days, Thanksgiving, fall festivals, was when people worshipped the wrong fake gods. But now that people's their eyes are open, they, they, they celebrate the feast of the true God. What about Christmas? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to do the Christmas thing myself. Because I see too much, too much information about the abomination of desolation and its relation to the day. So it gets a little bit subjective. Let everybody be fully persuaded by their own mind. Like I said during the worship service, there was a woman that was, uh, had a blood issue which made her unclean, not even able to go worship God. By Torah, she was unclean, but she reached out and touched his knees. She was cured. And she was not turned away. Um, we're going to go into some more things about Hanukkah and the distinctions between Hanukkah and Christmas, the similarities and the distinctions. Christmas is when Christians remember the birth of Yeshua. It, it used to be a pagan day. 
do with whatever you want. Uh, Thanksgiving is very similar. And yet Hanukkah is even very similar because Hanukkah started, here's the thing, that similarities and differences, and i gotta, I got to wrap this up. Hanukkah, the day, the 25th of Kislev, starts on the winter solstice, but then it follows the Jewish calendar. But on Hanukkah, we celebrate the rededication of the temple. And the first time was when they sacrificed a pig on the altar on the winter solstice. So sometimes in our overreaction without thinking, we forget to consider all these details. You understand what I'm trying to say? So let everybody be fully persuaded by their own mind, because I don't even have the answer myself. If I did, I'd tell you. But one thing I'm sure, we worship the one and only true and living God. The God of Israel, when we say the God, when we mentioned uh, the God of Christianity or, the, or, or Jesus or Yeshua, we cannot forget the God of Israel because he was there. He revealed himself to Israel first. It's, it's not a distinction. It's the same God that is revealing himself. That's who we worship. And let's remember that no matter, no matter what we do when we celebrate. So let's pray.